Yeah, Lord, and we know your presence is here, God, and we're excited because your presence isn't supposed to stay here. Um, yes. God, you're supposed to go and, That's right. um, yeah, Lord, you just have a disciple here in our presence. And, mm. uh, yeah, someone that's just changed the world and going to do so, and he's going to mm. tell people about how to do it here. And, Lord, so we just pray that uh, the message mm. that you've prepared through Josh is spoken and um, that it hits deep tonight, Lord, and that we're not scared to go, but... Um, yeah. We'll just go where you send us, Lord. So, yeah, yeah. Um, give him your words, Lord. Let his, let his words fall on deaf ears, but your words land on fertile soil, God. And uh, yeah. have we'll just hear your voice tonight, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Austin. Um, Austin is a very close friend. Um, those tears were a lot of history we've had. Um, how many of you guys know that when you go through tough times, um, it does something with you and that person? There's a unique closeness that's there and a relationship that only um, a hard-fought battle can create. So really suffering, um, trial, that creates a unique relationship. And I have that with a lot of guys here. Um, forgive me for my voice. I'm <laughs> I just suddenly came down with a cold. And I kept, I kept joking that I'm, I'm supposed to preach next Wednesday on suffering. And the title of the message is Fellowship with Christ and His Sufferings. And Paul had this wild doctrine that he thought, you know, if I suffer and the more I suffer, the more of the spirit that's inside me can come out. The less the flesh wants to take glory and the more I have to give um, glory to the spirit in me. How many of you guys agree with that? So right now I'm like, Jesus... This is my prayer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you are glorified. We pray that it is your words tonight that we believe that um, you have called each one of these students here. And they're not here by accident. Um, I believe in ordained appointments. I believe in your strategy across human history. And that you have been working through people family members, fathers, mothers, pastors, small group leaders to move these students into a place where they can hear your call to go and be a light to a, a, a dying world. And so this is a moment in time that could shape eternity. And so I pray we would not take it lightly, Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us. Amen. Um, I am... I'm, I'm honored to be here. Nate Banky is a dear friend of mine. And I used to lovingly say, Nate would come to me and say, Josh, I have a plan. And that would usually follow up with either we're moving to Fort Collins, Colorado to start a Chi Alpha, or what do you think about Chi Alpha in Russia? And so the, the two times that he's come to me and said, hey, I got a plan, it's like, oh my goodness, here we go. <laughs> Has he done that with you yet? Get ready. Um, <clears throat> are you guys grateful for a leader that walks closely with Jesus? There's something, uh, there's something comforting to, to know about you having a leader that is near to God. <clears throat> um, I'm grateful for Brent. and Brent's, he just, we have a saying, only a lit torch can light another torch on fire. Only a lit torch can light another torch on fire. Brent is that torch, and he's been that torch to a lot of people. If you know him well enough, he's always stirred up about something. 
I don't know if he got that from Tyler Schultz or Jake Leffler, but it somehow something happened when he got when he got changed. Uh, Eric Sanquist is anointed. I don't know if I've met a pure individual in my entire life. I don't, have you sinned, Eric, at all? <laughs> Ever? I'm just. <laughs> I don't think he's known a moment where he hasn't walked with Jesus. Um, I have some great friends, and um, I'm just trying to keep up, to be honest. <clears throat> um, my wife is incredible. Some of you guys know her. Some of you guys were in her small group. Uh, you know, I have been so busy the past month. I just got my, my PowerPoint notes in, so I would have had a photo up here. Do we have that at all? No? Okay. No PowerPoint? Mm. Okay. Um, she is beautiful. Um, on the outside and the inside. And um, she uh, has, uh, I have a seven-month-old. His name's Isaac Matthew. When I was reborn on uh, 2004, I, I'm trying to remove the word save from my vocabulary because there's a lot of uh, misconceptions of what that means. It's almost like you were saved once and was that it? You got saved once and well, what about being saved and I will be saved? Um, so I'm trying to remove that word from my vocabulary. The word I like to use is reborn. So when I was reborn, I had three visions. Um, I'm a drug addict. I am a junior in college. My twin brother, identical. If he was up here, you'd be like, double tape. Um, he was just very much the go-getter, zealous type of guy that you didn't want to pick a fight with, but you wanted on your team. Um, that type of fella. And um, I, I, we would get in fights, and I knew that if I couldn't choke him out, I'd have to run because, uh, or if I did choke him out, he'd come out, at, he'd come up and come after me. He wouldn't give up. Um, but he overdosed on cocaine when we were um, 20 years old and threw me into a tailspin of more drugs. And um, on the 24th of December at 1130, <clears throat> I cried out to Jesus. I said, I can't do this anymore. And I felt in that moment such a level of conviction and guilt for the things that I'd done. For the first time, I fessed up. I said, I did this. This is my fault. It's not my father's. It's not my brother's. It's not my circumstances. I fessed up uh, and took responsibility, stopped blame shifting. <clears throat> and I said, Jesus, you're going to have to save me. You're going to have to do something. I can't get over these addictions, and I'm going to end up like Matt. I'm going to end up dead. Um, and there was such a presence of God in that, in that car. I'm on I-45. If you know Texas at all, I'm coming from Huntsville, Sam Houston State, where I was uh, in Chi Alpha. Or not in Chi Alpha, I was at school in a fraternity. But um, Jesus met me there, and, and I heard the audible voice of God. How many of you guys know that there is an audible voice of God? Have any of you heard the audible voice of God? You have? Yes. Uh, it's, it's rare, not, you know, some people don't. Some people may go their entire life and not hear the audible voice of God. I heard God say, follow me. In that moment, um, I just bawled like a baby. And I said, yes, God, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just get me out of this. Um, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I just, I can't keep living this way. Um, <clears throat> so if we want to put that first slide up, that... That evening, that evening something happened inside me. Now, there's a principle in the Bible 
there's a principle in the world and, and you and I need to be aware of it. And that is outward reality has a spiritual origin. So God is spirit. We know that, right? There's three main absolute statements in the Bible um, talking about the, char- the nature of God. And that's God is spirit. God is, help me out, love. And God is light. Very good. God is spirit. God is love. God is light. That is the essence of who he is. When God spoke into existence the world that we know it, reality, it came out of spirit. It came out of the invisible. So if I ask you the question, what is more real, the invisible or the visible? The the invisible. Spirit is more real than physical. So there are things at work that we do not see that you do not see. And and, and, And the physical is so intertwined with the spiritual, you can't disconnect it. So every physical action you make has a spiritual consequence to it. Why do you feel like at times you got to raise your hands in worship? When you're humbled before the Lord, why do you feel like you got to get on your hands and knees? Because your heart is trying to physically express what it's feeling. It's physically trying to manifest and express what's going on. Okay, so <clears throat> that night, December 24th, I had an internal change. I had a real change in my life. That's funny. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Yes, I'll tell him. <laughs> oh, it's a download. <clears throat> um, I, I had such a radical experience in my heart that um, I couldn't help but find expression for it. And so I, what ends up happening is I go back to college I tell my frat friends, look, I'm leaving the fraternity. Um, I think Jesus saved me. I think I was reborn. I think that um, I know my life's changed, and I'm not going to go down that road anymore. I'm going to go down this road. If you want to follow me, you can. Um, And I begin to make very concerted efforts and very visible changes in my life. How many of you guys know that faith is more than just adhering to a system of creeds and ideas. How many of us know that faith is more than just saying, I'm a Christian? Faith is the expression of a real internal work in your life that finds its way out in reality. So I thought, I mean, I immediately came off drugs. I was an addict and I couldn't believe I had no, I had a little bit of withdrawals, but I stopped altogether. All, the entire desire to use drugs was gone. The pill addiction was gone. Totally new desires. Man, it shaped the way I thought. I loved people. I just, I, I couldn't understand where the love came from. I wanted to hug people. I cried. I cried all the time. Oh, my gosh. I had so many emotions. Um, I was reborn. I was reborn emotionally, physically, in thought. Um, So, the first prayer I prayed was, God, I want to do something great for you. I want to send me around the world. That was my first prayer. God, send me around the world. And I'll do, I'll say whatever you want when I get there. Whatever you want me to say, I'll I'll say it. But 
uh, I just felt like that was a very honest prayer. It wasn't selfish, like I want to see the world. I knew that that would, obviously, I would have some cool experiences, but um, I just had that in my heart. I just knew that people needed to know. And on top of that, I realized that this gospel, this Jesus Christ, he saved me from death. And I wonder if he could do it for somebody else. <laughs> and so I kind of started this social experiment. And I would literally go to the hardest, toughest dudes, and I would lead them to the Lord. First guy I led to the Lord, his name was Chris Bowen. He was paralyzed from the waist down, thrown from his car. He was drinking and driving um, during prom. Um, all state linebacker, just brilliant. Flown from his car, hit the tree, snapped his back in half, paralyzed from waist down. Um, moves to Sam Houston, wants to go to school there, um, but he's by himself. Moves into an efficiency apartment and is severely, severely depressed, trying to commit suicide. For months, I go to his house, and I share what, I, what I've experienced. I share the gospel. And probably three or four times in a row, he literally cussed me up and down. Get the F out of here. I don't want your Jesus. I would leave a book. I, I mean, I had like this little, um, it was like, a, it might have been a Joel Olstein book. I didn't have any really great books at the time. Sorry if you're not into Joel Olstein, but... Um, I'm not really into him, um, but I, I left his book there and another like daily bread book or something like that, and he literally threw it at me on the way out the door, like no joke, you couldn't make this up, and <clears throat> after this happened a couple of months, he calls, and on the phone he says, I'm, I'm about to die, and um, if Jesus isn't real, I don't have any other hope, I need you to come over and talk to me, so I came over, he gives his life to Jesus. And, but it, he says, Josh, I need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, well, let's move you in first. And, I mean, you, you're getting out of this efficiency. You're going to live with us now. You're going to come with my friends and I. He goes, no, I really need to go to the hospital. And then he, he, he leans forward and he, he pulls his back up, his shirt from his back. And as he pulls it up from the pressure sores of laying down on that couch, his skin is peeled off from his shirt. And you could see the meat on his back. And then he leaned over and he pulled his pants legs up and showed me around his ankle line where his shoes were on and his socks. And the socks peeled the skin back. And you could see the side of his bone. <clears throat> Chris was going to die. And in that moment, I was acutely aware that the message I gave him saved his physical life. Not just eternal life, but his physical life. Um, I was done after that. For me, I knew that's exactly, that was my purpose in life. Um, the gospel could save me. Jesus Christ could save me. He could save Chris. He can save anybody. And since then, um, I've been putting Jesus to the test. Uh, been able to go all over the world. Um, haven't used any of my own money. Been able to raise the support. Um, God's done it, um, but <clears throat> Russia, um, Russia's a beautiful place, and I might cry talking about it a little bit, but um, there's so much hurting in the world. Here in America, we're blessed with a rich Christian history, and it, and it influences us in a way that you may not even be aware. 
Um, but when you get to some of these countries, you realize that they have no biblical foundation whatsoever. Um, and you, you mentioned the gospel, and I'm like, what? Jesus Christ, who? That's, you're starting from ground zero. And so um, yeah, this, this is about missions. This tonight is about um, the individual call that God has on each and every one of your lives. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid if the challenge, the challenge to grow close to Jesus, to spend time with him, to be near to him, I'm afraid that the world is going to crowd out his voice in your life. We have to make room in our hearts for the Lord. The call is a real thing. Um. But it, the world is drowning it out in some of your lives right now. And God's plan for your life is great and it's incredible. But it's going to take a couple of... Uh, so tonight I'm going to give you a few things you're going to need to know. Um, if you're going to allow the God, to, God to use your life, there's a few things you need to know. Um, the first one is you've got to have a wild, all-in... A, uh, totally no reserves, no holding back faith. It's, that's the type of faith you got to have to, to follow Jesus, to be a missionary. That's the type of faith you have to have. The second thing is you have to have this crazy, radical consecration. You have to set yourself apart from this wicked, shallow, lukewarm culture that we've got. You've got to set your part, yourself apart from those things. But the Lord has a call on each one of your lives. <clears throat> Lordship is absolutely necessary. I don't believe that you can have biblical salvation without lordship. Does, do you guys understand what I mean by lordship? I don't know if that has come up, and I hope so. <laughs> Um, I, you're my friends, I imagine it is. Things haven't changed. Uh, lordship says, God, you're the boss. God, you're the boss. I'm no longer in charge of my life, but you are. I'm giving you the steering wheel. I'm giving you my plans. I have dreams, but if you want to change them, God, you can do that. My resources, they're yours. My money, they're your, it's yours, God. My time, it's yours. And I willingly do that. You know why it's, it's easy to give Jesus lordship? It's easy to give God lordship? Because God truly is the most wise. He's the most powerful. He's the most loving being in all the universe. And I've tried to be the Lord of my life. It did not work out well. It does not work out well. So he is the only one qualified to be the boss. Can we all agree with that? Okay, so we really can't go on further until that's understood. <laughs> all right, you can't be a missionary without the lordship of Jesus. Um, I love the verse, Matthew eleven thirty, 30. But it says... 
For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you're in love, it's pretty easy. Um, I'm just full of tears now uh, since my son's been born. When I got married, there was even more emotions there. So I'm just a ball. I'm a big mess. Um, but I hate to see my wife hurt and sick. My son's now sick right now. He's got the same kind of thing I got, this cold flu. But I would do anything to take that pain away from him. And I would do it very happily, very happily. Because when you're in love, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? You do some, guys, come on. You do some crazy stuff for those girls. You got no money. You're living on water and ramen. <laughs> Valentine's rolls around and suddenly you scrape out $30 for a dozen roses. I don't know where you get it. You're, you're like, I'm willing to hock a lung for this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell my kidney for these roses. Mm. So there's a real yoke and there's a real burden, but it's light because love carries it. James 1, 5 to 8, I love the book of James. I feel like James and I would be friends. James is the type of guy that's like faith without works is dead. So I'm, I almost said it, but there's the saying, you know, action talks and, you know, fill in the blank. Um, but really, there's, a, there's too much lip action in the church. There's too much talking about it. We need to see more people going and going for it. I was talking to Eric Sanquist today. Just, I love Eric. I love my friends. My best relationships I have with people are with those that are close to Jesus because like Eric this morning, he just had straight up knowledge. He just dropped some knowledge on me. He's like, you know the gospel, when we talk about the, the, um, uh, the armor of God, the, it says that the gospel are the shoes that are fitted on our feet. The gospel are shoes. What are shoes for? Walking, man. There's a go in the gospel. I always wondered why the gospel gets shoes. That's kind of like pretty lame. It's something more, you know, impressive than shoes. But, but that's the gospel message. Let's read James 1, 5 to 8. <coughs> If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is an unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed around. Do not be wavered. Do not waver. Do not be thrown around. Do not have divided loyalty. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. My prayer, Nate's prayer, our prayer, is that you would not have a divided loyalty, that your faith would be all in, total commitment. God is a God of total commitment. He loves an all-in type of faith. No reserves, no holding back. I'm giving it my life. It's all on the table, God. It's all yours. That's the type of faith it's going to take. 
biblical faith is full commitment. So God is truly all or nothing. And he's a moving God. He's an action God. He is. You read any of the men of the Bible, they were on the go. Paul was crazy. The man was crazy. He was everywhere. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Real quick, I want us to read this active versus passive lordship. You can find this on um, Keith Green's website. Uh, Brent, do you know that? What's the name of that website? Last Days Ministry. You can look it up. It's called Active Versus Passive Lordship. It would be worth the five minutes it would take to read the article. Um, but let me, let's read this together. Passive Lordship. We view our time, passive lordship is we view our time, talent, and treasure as ours and under our control until God specifically asks for something. Did you catch that? Our time, our talent, and our treasures are ours until it's under our control. And we say, God, until you specifically ask for it, I won't give it to you. But this is the active type of lordship. Active lordship says, my time, talents, and treasures are already 100% yours, Lord. How do you want me to use them for your glory? They're already yours, God. It's on the table. I am actively looking to invest. I'm actively looking to go. I'm not waiting for you to invite me. I'm not waiting for you to ask me. I'm already there. I'm knocking on the door. How can I give? You see the difference? This passive lordship is prevalent. Passive lordship is a future tense, always intending to serve or, or give, just not at this particular moment. But active lordship is present tense. Lord, show me how to use all you've entrusted to me today for your purpose, purposes. Passive lordship says someday I will do something for the Lord. I might when the time is right. There's a, a scary quote that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. One day, God, I'll do that. Some of you right now have heard God's calling. Some of you right now have already heard the Holy Spirit speak to you. And you're resisting it. And you're putting it off. So, Paul's travels, um, if we got that up, look at this. this. This is the known world at the time. Paul was crazy. To be a missionary, you got to be a little crazy, okay? <laughs> you got to be, Austin, is that true? To live in Russia, you got to be a little crazy. I have seen things in Russia, holy cow, holy cow. My wife and I were taken into to custody, and if you haven't heard the story, we were essentially sent in on trumped-up charges, called cult leaders one day, then called CIA intelligence one another. And we had people looking at us like we were going to take their babies, sacrifice them to some unknown God, and, and then, you know, it's just strange. Um, but you got to be a little crazy. Um, I think Paul at the time may have, they say that Paul may have gone as far as Spain and Great Britain. Paul had that type of active faith. 
he was willing to put God to the test. He, I, I think actually he got to the point who realized, um, I, haven't, I haven't tested God enough. I haven't tried God enough. Actually, the limitation isn't on God's part, but it's on mine. To be a missionary, you gotta be, you gotta be a little nasty. You heard it. You gotta be a little nasty. Paul wasn't afraid to be a little nasty. All right, <laughs> girls, can I ask you a question? How many of you like nice guys? <laughs> okay. How many of you are like you like guys that are whatever you want, baby? Tonight, where would you like to go eat? Whatever you want, honey. Well, what about the future? Honey, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. All right? <laughs> to be a missionary, you've you got to be okay with being a little nasty. You've got to be frank and direct. There are times that Paul was frank and direct. Look at Galatians 2 verse 11. This is, the, this is that moment when, when Peter is, is, is there and he's hanging out with um, the, the, the Gentiles and then some of the Jewish friends come in from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then suddenly Paul's watching all this happen and he's like cozying up to the, to the Gentiles. But as soon as Jewish friends come around, he's like, oh, I don't want to be seen in the presence of those people. And so he kind of bails. What does Paul do? He got a little nasty. He said... But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was wrong. In, uh, in Acts 6, 24 to 32, we see Paul opposing or calling out King Agrippa. How many of you guys know that love is not always nice? God hates sin. And if you love your friend, you'll call him out on it. You'll get a little nasty. All right? you got to be okay with being forward and direct because hurting someone's feelings might save their life. You know what I'm saying? We need a little grit. We need some backbone. All right? Um, Acts 6, 24 to 32 says, let me see. Oh, excuse me, it's not Acts 6. It's... Well, anyhow, I'm going to paraphrase it. <laughs> Paul is brought in front of King Agrippa, and Festus, the, at that time, was kind of the region ruler, and Agrippa was the king. And Festus was like, Paul, you're going crazy with all this knowledge about, and all this talk about Jesus Christ and salvation. You know, relax, calm down. And then Paul just calls out Agrippa and essentially says, this man, King Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. You have, you have heard of these stories. You've, you know about this man, Jesus Christ. Don't deny it. This is the king. He calls him out. Bold, man. Bold like a lion. Uh, and there's another instance when Paul disagreed with Barnabas strongly and said, hey, John Mark, uh, he bailed on us. I don't think so. He's not coming with us on this second journey. 
He was a man of conviction. If you're going to be a missionary, you have to know what you believe in, and you have to believe in it. All right? Um, <clears throat> we're going to close with this. To be a missionary, we have to, we have to remember where our strength comes from. Um, so I'm a, I'm a Chi Alpha leader in College Station. You guys heard of a university at College Station? Texas A&M. Woo! <laughs> Not really into it. I'm warming up to the traditions. It's, Chi, they call Chi Alpha a cult, Nate. I'm like, A&M is the biggest cult I've ever seen. But we have currently 40 student leaders, and we had a leadership training retreat. And at that retreat, there was a call to consecration. You guys familiar with the term consecration? It means to be set apart for a purpose. Um, I want to read James chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, let's look at that real quick. This is a call to consecration. What is causing the quarrels and fighting among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because you are, your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now this is it. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit has placed within us should be faithful to him. The spirit that is within you is trying to get you to be faithful to God. It is pulling you. It is at times like a, they call it, the old, the old greats call it the hound of heaven. But that Holy Spirit is working on your conscience, saying separate yourself from the world. Separate yourself from the world and all that's worldly. Separate for yourself from those fleshly things. And he gives grace generously. And the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Wash your hands. Clean yourself of the world. Get the dirt off your feet. Take your eyes off that junk. You are dirtying, you're dirtying up the temple of God. He wants to use you, but he needs to clean the temple first. I believe we would be surprised at what the Spirit of God can do in a man if our temple was fully clean. My friend Matt Carpenter, Chi Alpha director, known for praying and people being healed, was in Senegal on the way to Mali to meet up with Eli and I. I had a layover, walked out in Dakar, Senegal, and started praying for people. And people were just boom, 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 healed, healed. Eyes, blind, see. Backs that were hurting, healed. 
And Eli's there, and we're talking to Matt, and we're like, what is it? How did you get that gift of healing? And Matt said, I'm beginning to think it's less about a gift and more about consecration. I'm beginning to think less of a gift and it's more about consecration. It's you are so set apart. Your temple is so clean. You're so holy. The presence of God is, is so consuming your life. Miracles happen. There's power with God through consecration. Now, I'm going to read this to you. You guys are familiar with the, the man Ian Bounds? This is a great book. I've had it on my bookshelf for so long, I can't believe I hadn't read it. Listen to this. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. Excuse me. I'm sorry. There it is, power through prayer. We are currently on a stretch, if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and, and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man. God's plan is to make much of the man. Far more of him than anything else. Men are God's methods. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for holy, consecrated men and women. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organization or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. The definition that made me cry when I read um, about consecration, it just simply, consecration simply this, to make yourself wonderful for God. I'm realizing God's taking me through this uprooting right now, and I'm realizing that the way I've done ministry has not been as effective as God would like, um, and that God desires to move on me in different ways and in greater ways, but I um, have not been consecrated. And insanity, the definition is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. What's going to need to happen if God is going to use you in foreign countries, if God's going to use you as a missionary on this campus, you're going to have to consecrate yourself and you're going to have to change some things. You're going to have to be a little radical. And you might get called religious. And you might get called crazy and nasty and weird. I've, um, my friends and I have decided to wake up at 5 a.m. Um, it's not easy, but we wake up at 5 to guarantee we get two hours at least before the day starts. Um, I haven't watched a movie in two, two months. Uh, I only if I if I use YouTube, it's to to hear a sermon. If I use social media, it's to communicate. But that's it. Um, at night, I've changed the way I, what I do before I go. There's prayer before I go to sleep at night. Um, I am making conscious, active decisions 
to make room in my heart, in my life, in my mind to bring more of Jesus. We, we called our student leaders at this retreat to the three vows of the Nazarite. The Nazarite has three vows. He says, the first one is not to eat grapes, no drinking. The second one was don't touch dead things. That means anything that would corrupt the pure, holy temple of God. So separates yourself from the world. And the third would be uh, at that moment, that in that day and age, the Nazarite would grow out his hair, symbolizing that he's taking the Nazarite vow. But if he broke a vow, he had to cut his hair. Um, and so I'm very proud of our students. And I'm starting to see the physical effects of a spiritual internal change. Souls are getting saved. I'm seeing more and more boldness, more and more courage. Um, I'm hearing more and more talk about Jesus and less about sports and less about this movie and that. So tonight, I'm not sure where you're at. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on. Maybe you need an all-out type of faith. Maybe you've been holding back. And you need to commit yourself all in, 100%. An all-out type of faith. Maybe you know that there's something in your life that is dirtying and muddying up the temple of God in your heart and your mind. And you're allowing the world and its culture to taint what God wants to be holy. And you need to repent of that if you want to see God use you. So, Ashley, worship team, want to come up. We're going to have a worship song. And during that song, if you guys would just seek Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. In what areas of my faith do I need to take action? You've been speaking to me, God. I haven't wanted to do this. I haven't wanted to talk to that person. I haven't wanted to go there. I've been a little sheepish and a little shy. But I need, I need to have some, some bold faith. I need to do this. I need to be all in. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to put his finger on the thing that is of the world, the dead thing. Maybe we're too fixated on alcohol. Maybe we're too fixated on the culture. We need to give the Holy Spirit room in our heart. And you need to give the room, you need to give room to the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because He has a call on your life. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us. Oh God. We know that it's not by might nor by power. No eloquent word. This is not emotionalism. Holy Spirit, when you move on a man, it is, it's a real work. And it requires a real choice on our part. No matter how awkward, no matter how nervous we are, it, it's going to take real concerted effort and choice. So Holy Spirit, I pray for courage right now.
my friends. That my friends would take a vow like the Nazarite would. And God, you don't require vows, but you remember them. And I pray that my friends would remember the vows that they take, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this calling. I thank you for this Christian faith, this life we get to live. It's a voluntary choice. Nobody's making me do this. I get to do it. I want to do it. This is awesome. It's wonderful. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would stir my friends. Greater consecration. More radical faith. Crazy faith, willing to do whatever, God. Go wherever, say whatever, do whatever for you, Jesus, because you're worth it, God. You're worth it. We're just trying to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So if the Lord was speaking to you, won't you come right now? The altars are a place where we do business with God. And all the physical world, physical reality has a spiritual origin. And the thing in it that's in you is trying to make itself known. It's trying to manifest. So what's in your heart right now, would you, would you give it way? Would you, would you let it express itself? by coming to the altar and, and let the Lord speak to you.